touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And uh, this time we're not doing a, a listener request, although I would imagine a lot of our listeners have heard about the subject we're going to be talking about today. But uh, before we get into it, uh, Lauren, what is your favorite implementation of the concept of invisibility in fiction? Uh, probably the Romulan cloaking device. Mm, yeah. I'm... Which the Klingons managed to get their hands on because I always think of the bird of prey. Oh, sure. From, uh, well, they both had bird of preys that could cloak and in the Star Trek universe. Yes. Eventually the Federation picked it up as well. We could really, really get into a full thing of us just talking about Star Trek and cloaking <laughs> devices as it turns out. Yeah, no, that's a cool, cool implementation. Another one, of course, uh, the, the predator, uh, being oh, able yeah. to, mm-hmm. to have that chameleon like ability. Or um, I guess, I guess the halo armor. Yeah, uh, there's of course the, the Harry Potter. Invisibility cloak. Yeah, the Harry the Potter. Literal with the literal cloak. Yes, yeah. with the, the Marauders invisibility cloak. So yeah, we've, we've got all these ideas about invisibility. It's of course been a popular, uh, concept in fiction, whether it's fantasy or science fiction. In the world of science fiction, of course, we have to try and come up with a way of how would this work? How would we manage to make something invisible. And yeah, well, some people feel more obligated to do that than others. But. Well, yeah, because some people would argue that if you don't do it, you might as well call it science fantasy rather than science fiction. But the the concept usually boils down to the idea of somehow manipulating light so that it bends around an object and then continues on as if the object were not there. So from an outsider's perspective, it's just, you know, emptiness or or whatever it's. Whatever yes, else the environment is. See the star field behind you or the walloping willow or whatever it is. Excellent. Really well done. I was wondering where you're going to go with the Harry Potter one. Uh, exactly. So the interesting thing is that there are people who are really working on this technology. You guys out there have probably heard about variations on real world cloaking devices. And you may wonder, well, how is this even possibly attempted? And there are a lot of different approaches, but one emerging field that we wanted to talk about is metamaterials. Uh, right, because with normal materials, perhaps obviously normal materials do not bend light around them so that you can see what's on the other side. Yeah. Uh, when they're solid and opaque materials. Right. Yeah, you at just, any rate. yeah, exactly. Even a, even a transparent window is reflecting some light back to you, right? Mm-hmm. The idea of a metamaterial, at least in this particular implementation, because there's lots of different potential ways to use metamaterials, is to bend electromagnetic radiation, in this case, visible light around it so that we wouldn't see it. Now, we're not there yet, by the way. No. Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> um, we are working slowly towards it, but let's put down a good solid definition of metamaterials to kind of start the conversation off. Okay. So first thing to keep in mind, they're artificial. These are these are materials that are man-made and they are very different from natural materials because the properties that you would find in any natural material are largely dependent upon its chemical composition. Right. So, for example, a bar of gold. A bar of gold has the weight, the color, the density. It has all of these things because of the nature of the atoms of gold. Right. That's if it were a different material, it would have very different properties, even if you had it at the same Physical dimensions. Uh, right. And so and even though, OK, a, a bar of gold is also a man-made object, you're rarely going to pull a large hunk of gold like that 
right straight out of the ground yeah, without not playing it having Minecraft or something. <laughs> without it having some kind of impurities that you would have sure. to melt out or whatever it is that you do. But basically, it's all chemical. Exactly. Now, metamaterials, they get their properties not just from the kind of atoms or molecules that make up that metamaterial. In fact, the chemical composition doesn't really ultimately matter. It's um, more the physical structure. Exactly. It's it's how that material is physically constructed. And when we say physical structure, we're not talking about something you can see on the macro level. We're talking... This is micro to nano. Exactly. To the point where it's so small that an optical microscope would not be able to show you what that structure is. And a lot of this was sort of theoretical. We'll talk about the history of it uh, until relatively recently. We've just now started to get to sophisticated manufacturing processes that allow us to build these super tiny structures that will affect, uh, well, that will interact with electromagnetic radiation in interesting ways. Uh, right. It's sort of similar to the way that we've talked about nanostructures having different effects on the world around them than we would normally be able to observe in right. larger structures. Uh, metamaterials are similar, and a lot of them will interact specifically with electromagnetic radiation in very interesting ways. Yep. So if you look at electromagnetic radiation, if you were to to just be able to stop the, the whole universe and just look at a, a specific wave of electromagnetic radiation and be able to to break that apart conceptually you'd be able to see that there are two major components of it, which are electric fields and magnetic fields. Um, there's also the vector, which is the wave's magnitude and direction. Okay. So all three of these things together determine how they interact with... Any given any, object. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, conventional material usually only interacts with the electric fields, usually. There, there are some that interact with magnetic fields, but... Generally speaking, the electric fields are what are interacting with conventional material. Metamaterials can also interact with the magnetic fields, which increases the number of ways it can interact with any given electromagnetic radiation. Keep in mind, visible light is electromagnetic radiation. It's mm -hmm. part of that spectrum. It's a very narrow part of that spectrum, which also includes things like ultraviolet light and infrared light, but also microwaves and radio waves. Um, so... This is the stuff that would, at least in theory, if we were able to build the right kinds of structures, allow us to create an invisibility cloak for realsies, or at least some sort of uh, a physical object that light would bend around so you would not be able to see it. And right now, we only have invisibility cloaks that bend microwaves around them? The implementations tend to be very specific to very narrow bands in that spectrum. Uh, right. And we'll talk about it. This has to do with the specific micro and nanostructures of these objects. Exactly. Which we'll get into in a moment. Um, but while we're talking about waves, electromagnetic waves are not the only ones that hypothetically these materials can interact with, right? Absolutely. Anything that travels in wave form can, in theory be uh, something that interacts in a different way with a metamaterial. So seismic waves, earthquakes, Oof. that those it travels in waves, just like, you know, it's hard for us to imagine in a way things like electromagnetic radiation because we can't directly see those waves. Um, well, we know, also can't. Well, I guess we can see earthquakes or we can see the effect of earthquakes. Right, right. We can so, certainly feel them. Yes, certainly. Uh, so those those seismic waves that travel through the ground 
you could, in theory, create a metamaterial that allows that stuff to just pass through it as if it weren't, it wasn't there. And then imagine making a building out of that stuff. It wouldn't even sway with, when the uh, the earthquake moves through. The earthquake would just pass through it as if it weren't there. It would just redirect. Yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy. The same thing with sound waves. You could build. I mean, I'm I'm picturing our sound studio right now without all of this, albeit lovely foam that that Noel has put up on our walls. Instead of that, the walls themselves could just be made of a material that redirects the sound waves. Yep. They could either absorb it or because, again, it all depends upon the physical structure of the material itself. If you were able to do that, you could have a perfectly soundproofed room so you wouldn't ever have to worry about any sort of bleed out either going out of the room or coming into the room. And we would really like that because often we have to stop when there's a siren or a drag race or something <laughs> going on outside. Yeah. Uh, so that you guys, I mean, I'm sure a couple of them have snuck through anyway, but we try to limit them. Uh, also, actual waves like ocean waves, those are another form that I've seen. Uh, I've seen the Navy looking into a, a strategy where they would have a special metamaterial on the outside of the hull of ships. To make them more efficient in moving through the water. Exactly. Releasing all that drag so that you don't have to huh. worry about that. It doesn't have to do as much work to move a huge vessel through the water because you have redirected the waves as if you're not there. Also, you could, in theory, reduce the wake of a vehicle moving through the water so that the ocean itself does not reveal the fact that an enormous like aircraft carrier just bustled through. You wouldn't have a wake. It would. It, this, to me, is hard to imagine. It's hard for me to imagine a, a, something the, so it's massive. The laws of physics. Yeah. <laughs> going all wacky on you it. You know, Scotty said you cannot break the laws of physics, and I think... I think he was a little short-sighted, actually. <laughs> I think metamaterials kind of proves him wrong. But, I mean, clearly we're still working within the laws of physics. It's just we're expanding our our knowledge of how they how they work. We're just tweaking them a little bit. Yeah, you know, kind of, you know, just a little thumb of the nose at the laws of physics. So, all right, what is actually going on here? How, you know, we've talked about what they are and what they do in general. And we've talked about the structure issue, but let's let's get down into it. Yeah. So if you were able to shrink down to a teeny tiny size and observe this material on the nanoscale, what you would notice is that the actual physical structure of that material would be made up of repeated patterns. They would be kind of like a repeated scaffolding in a way. Mm -hmm. And think again, this is on the nanoscale. You to to us on the macro scale, it would just look like stuff whatever it happened to be made out of. We wouldn't notice that structure because it's far too too tiny for us to see. But you would see these repeated patterns, and those repeated patterns would be specific to whatever wave it was supposed to interact with. Because here's the thing. For metamaterials to be effective, generally speaking, those structures need to be smaller than whatever the wavelength is of the th whatever it's going to interact with. Uh, right. This is why we've had better success with microwaves than anything else, because microwaves are very long wavelength. Yeah. As well, I mean, compared, compared to, to, for visible example, light. visible light. Yeah. Absolutely. Infrared's the same way. Infrared is a longer wavelength than, say, red. Yeah. So you run into a, a building problem, just, just a structural issue here. Exactly. Of how do you build something tiny enough to interact with these very tiny wavelengths? Yeah. So in order for you to have something that would be able to shield an object from visible light, you would have to make uh, structures with such precision 
that those repeating patterns would be just teeny, teeny tiny. Like Yeah, those building blocks would have to be like no bigger than 10 to 20 nanometers. Yeah, that's really super small. And we've managed to do that kind of thing with microprocessors, but we're talking about expanding that out potentially to a three-dimensional object. Ultimately, when you're looking at microprocessors, you're really talking about two dimensions. Right. You're talking about the height and the width. There's no real it's a depth. negligible depth. Yeah, it's to yeah. the point where you might as well say it's two-dimensional. So when you're talking about a three-dimensional object and building that outward volumetrically. Uh, especially to cover, say, a car or a bird yeah. of prey. Or... Yeah, oh yeah, or, or an <laughs> aircraft carrier or yeah. whatever, you know, because... Obviously, the military carrier, yeah, whatever. <laughs> yes, the military <laughs> applications for this are obvious, right? I mean, oh, any sure. kind of cloaking device. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, being able to manufacture that out in a way that has a practical effect is an enormous undertaking. It's something that is, uh, uh, we're years be be beyond that, like, or no, that's years beyond us, I should say. Yes. We we and it not close together is my yeah. point. Words, Wait, words are hard. We're, we're kind of shouting at each other. Exactly. Through the future. Exactly. So although we can't see them no. because one, they're in the future and two, they're invisible. But uh, yeah, that's the thing is that you have to have these super, super small, small, small structures. Not only that, but visible light takes up a spectrum. You know, we say the visible spectrum. And, you know, the easy way of saying that is the Roy G. Biv, right? You've got from red on one end to violet on the other end and mm-hmm. that and everything in between. And that's what makes up visible light for us. Well, in order to be able to shield something from visible light, you would have to somehow engineer a metamaterial that would be effective for that entire for range. All of those wavelengths. Right. And that's really tricky. It's one thing to design a metamaterial that works for a narrow range of wavelengths. That is. It's, I hesitate to use the word easier. It's more realistic than effect, creating a material that would be effective across an entire spectrum of wavelengths. So it may be that we never get to a point where using metamaterials, we create a cloaking device that's effective for visible light. That doesn't mean we won't create cloaking devices. We may do it through a totally different technology. Or we may have cloaking devices that are cloaking devices for specific wavelengths like microwaves. Because radar uses microwaves, right? Oh, yeah. So a stealth bomber that has metamaterial surfaces, which means that the radar waves will go straight through it and not bounce back, you wouldn't have to have those super funky uh, the panels that are all at weird angles. You oh, know, sure. We yeah, had yeah. that whole episode. Oh, right, right. The surface of stealth bombers right now operate by redirecting those waves. Yeah, exactly. In all willy-nilly. It's kind of like the idea of, of just... Uh, 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 deflecting the wave to some other direction b- b- apart from the, the receiving station, right? Yeah. So as long as the receiving station never gets the waves back, it doesn't know yeah. that there's an object. So there. you could, you could go on and make those things more aerodynamic at that point. Yeah. yeah. You could, you could completely redesign the stealth. I would, I would fighters. miss the weird bulky looking thing. Yeah. I mean, anyway. sure, they were ridiculously expensive. And uh, inefficient, ultimately. But, hey, they, they look cool. I also like the DeLorean. So, same. I mean, DeLoreans show up on radar like crazy, but that's, that's that's another episode. Now, there are different types of metamaterials. There's There are different ways of building metamaterials to interact with various types of wavelengths. So, I'm going to go ahead and preface this part of the podcast by saying... Neither of us are physicists. Nope. 
And electromagnetic radiation is a difficult topic to wrap your head around when you haven't had that as... As your continual background for, say, 30 years. Yeah. So if there are any physicists out there who cringe as we start to oversimplify what's happening, I apologize to you now. I am doing the best of my ability to explain what's going on. Uh, yes. And if we get anything wrong, please do be gentle with us, but let us know. Yes, please do, because then we can always do a follow up and say, you know what? We were doing this based on our understanding, and as it turns out, our understanding was flawed, and here's how it really works. We appreciate that. But yes, please be gentle. All right, so starting off, we have the electromagnetic band gap metamaterials, or also known as EBM metamaterials, or just EBM, because that's what the M stands for. So these manipulate light propagation, and they are either made uh, from left-handed materials or photonic crystals. Left-handed materials. Uh, that means they're more creative? It means they're sinister. It's when you go to the old French. Uh, being a left-hander, I consider myself sinister. No, left-handedness and electromagnetic radiation is um, a very particular thing, and you've got to be careful on how you define it. So with electromagnetic radiation, like we said earlier, you've got the electric field, the magnetic field, and the wave vector, which is that magnitude and direction combo, right? Right. So you also have physical material. So any given physical material has a couple of different features, one called permittivity and one called permeability. And those are the ways in which it's going to interact with any given wavelength of electromagnetic radiation, right? Yeah, because your permittivity is how it interacts with electric fields. Your permeability is how it interacts with magnetic fields. Okay. And a positive number essentially says that it has this kind of interaction. But here's the thing. You can actually have, you can create a material that has negative permittivity and negative permeability. You won't find it in nature, or at least we haven't found anything in nature so far that has both negative permeability and permittivity simultaneously. Okay. We have made stuff that does. And that stuff is called left-handed. Yes. And uh, so it, it's a really interesting concept that you are able to create something that has this negative uh, permittivity and permeability. What it ultimately means is that you could create a material that resists waves as they impact that material. So imagine creating a uh, military vehicle out of this stuff, and there's an electromagnetic burst. This thing would actually effectively, the material itself, would push back against that oncoming electromagnetic wave, leaving the vehicle fine. So you could imagine that being really effective for something like an electromagnetic pulse weapon that wipes out electronics otherwise. If you're if you have it shielded with this stuff, it's like the ultimate Faraday cage. Yeah, it's like a force field almost. But it's because of, again, the physical Structure. Structure of the this material. nanostructure of the material. Yeah, yeah, there's there's no energy thing going on here. It has nothing to do. Like, you don't have to turn a it's switch a passive on. passive system, yeah. Exactly. It's just the way the stuff is physically built. It, it, it's, it's unbelievable to me. It's amazing to me that just by uh, specifically designing the structure, you can dictate how electromagnetic radiation is going to interact with something. Uh, now, there's also single negative metamaterials, which would have one of those two things, permittivity or permeability, be negative, but the other one would be positive. 
then you have uh, natural materials that have like the double positive, which means the permittivity and permeability are both positive. You can make metamaterials that have that same stuff. Uh, I mean, it all depends on what you want the metamaterial to do, obviously. Uh, then there are others that get progressively more difficult for me to describe, so I'm not going to try because I know at that point I would just be giving misinformation. Huh. But uh, th- that's the basic idea is the, the idea of interacting with either the electric ma- field or the magnetic field or both in a way that's different from your general natural materials out there. So this all sounds like incredible science fiction technology to yeah. me. This is all probably really recent research, right? Well, how about late 19th century? Is that still recent? Uh, I mean, overall. Yeah, from a geological time scale, it's like no time at all has passed. <laughs> but uh, for, for humans, yeah, this this is actually the whole concept is built upon observations that were starting to come out of the scientific world in the late 19th century. Back in 1898, uh, a scientist named uh, Jagadis Chunder Bose experimented with microwaves and twisted structures that today we would call artificial chirals. Uh, chiral, by the way, is essentially an asymmetric shape. Okay, It's one that if you were to superimpose a reverse of its image, it would not fit onto itself. Um. He found that by introducing randomly oriented wire helices, as in the plural of helix, uh, in a host medium, he could create a microwave lens. Essentially, he was bombarding stuff with microwaves, and he had these little uh, wire helix structures embedded into that material. And then he would move the little helix helices Mm -hmm. around, changing their orientation, changing their, their layout. And he discovered that that was changing the the effect of those microwaves. That he could focus it yeah. or defocus it. Exactly. On... So he's like, huh, something to do with the physical structure is affecting the way the microwaves are behaving with this material. And that was the very beginning, some say, because there are people who argue about whether or not this is, in fact, the origin. A, right. yeah. But by the 1960s, you had scientists hypothesizing that if we were, in fact, able to build stuff with incredible nano precision, we could do so and make it so that it behaves in a specific way when introduced to electromagnetic radiation. Uh, there wasn't any way we could actually do it at yeah, that time. Yeah, we wouldn't actually get into that kind of production technology until the 1990s. Yeah. And in fact, really, it wasn't until the 2000s that you started seeing the first uh, real forays into the microwave world where we were trying to uh, specifically create a metamaterial that would allow microwaves to pass straight through it as if nothing were there at all. And, or uh, kind of around it. but yeah, yeah, kind of around it. Yeah. When I say through it, I really like mean over it, I guess, technically. Yeah. Imagine that the light, like think of it almost like water. You know how water, if you put a stone in, a, in, in flowing water, the water will just flow around the stone and then continue on as if nothing were there. It's the same sort of thing, except in this case, we're talking about light. It actually bends around the object and then continues on. Now, to us, it's as if light is just passing straight through it, right? That's mm-hmm, the way. But that's an optical illusion. Right. Yeah. So if we were able to see in microwaves, we would not see that object. It would just be as if there was nothing there at all. So that was, you know, kind of uh, the, the beginning of it. But as far as where we are now, we're really seeing... Lots of effort going into making this technology more sophisticated. Uh, and 
we're able to create much more precise metamaterials than we ever have been before. Oh, yeah. A lot of that has to do with 3D printing. Hey, we um, talk about that a lot on this show. We do. Uh, for, for example, that microwave invisibility cloak that we were that, we, that we've been talking about involved printing wires and patterns onto circuit boards in order to create this this shield. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So this whole microwave shield thing. That's obviously the best example because those are the ones that have had the most uh, experimentation the the and the greatest success rate so far. Uh, again, it tends to be narrow bands of the spectrum. It's not like it will affect every wavelength, but uh, it has shown that this could be possibly used for stealth technology. Like for we that said radar before. we were talking about, yep. yeah. Or if you want to turn it on its head, you could actually make more effective antennas using metamaterials, right? Instead of it being something that that the waves pass through, it could be something that is channeling those waves more effectively, either to transmit or to receive, whether it's microwaves or whatever. In fact, I've even seen uh, talk about optical antennas. So it'd be something in the light range, not necessarily visible light, but in the light range, that would be really effective at transmitting and receiving because the metamaterials themselves were channeling that uh, radiation in a more effective manner. Um, again, we're getting to a point now where I'm like, I understand the application. Understanding the mechanism <laughs> is getting more and more complex. And then there's the idea of creating like an amazing microscope or telescope using metamaterials to create super lenses. So here's the, here's the thing. When we talk about the nanoscale and we talk about not being able to see something with an optical microscope, the main reason we talk about that is that you're talking about trying to look at things that are on a scale that's smaller than a light wavelength. So here's the weird part. In theory, you could use metamaterials uh, that have a negative refraction index. Refraction, uh, did, when, when you're talking about lenses, a, there's a thing called uh, the diffraction limit. Right. And it's one of those things that, like, the better your lens is, the less problem you have with diffraction, but ultimately you're going to run into it at some point or another. The metamaterials can start to make that less and less of a factor. So as you have this negative refraction index, which would allow you to look at stuff that normally would be too small for you to see, whether that is a distant star, so you're talking about a telescope in that case, or something on the nanoscale, so you're talking about a microscope on that case. And... The the idea here is that, OK, lenses focus light by bending it, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and the refraction index measures how much a given material will bend the light passing through it. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the way that an object will look different when you view it through water right. or through a wine glass or something like that. Um, and a negative refractive index means that the material is bending light the wrong way, uh, which could allow for this very precise, fine focus. Right. Um, but... It it, it, it kind of goes against just, again, your common sense of how things work, right? Because you're saying, oh, well, this just does it the opposite way. And like, but 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 that's not that's, a thing at all. That's like saying if I jumped into water, I would get more dry. Like it, it's something that goes so against what our common experience is. It's hard, at least for me, to imagine it. It's difficult for me to have a concept of how that works. But it does. <laughs> but it does. And it could be useful for a number of technologies because a number of technologies, in fact, use 
optics. How about fiber optic cables or mm-hmm. optical discs like DVDs? Uh, th- this kind of research could lead to huge improvements in a DVD's data capacity or in fiber optic cable transmission speed or power consumption. So one of the things that I talked about on a forward thinking episode, an upcoming for- forward thinking episode, spoiler alert, folks. Oh, no. Is uh, uh, the the whole field of photonics, the idea of creating electronic components that are based on light rather than on electricity. So the thing about photonics is that they tend, they're they're incredibly fast. Like you can move a lot of data at the speed of light. So when I say fast, I'm not just talking about transmission speed because really we're talking at this point, transmission speeds that are close to the speed of light. I'm talking about how much information you can move through that channel at once. So throughput is probably a better word than speed. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, especially when you get into things like quantum computers, you're limited by how far you can you can extend these systems. You would not be able to create at the, this moment with our technology right now a an Internet based on quantum computers. It, it wouldn't reach far enough for mm-hmm. you to be able to do that. I think 30 kilometers is about the limit that you can get. And while we could, in theory, build out a network that has enough density for that, when you're getting to places that are, you know, further out Remote from, locations. Yeah, it's it, hard. It would make working from Antarctica really difficult. Right. But by using metamaterials and improving fiber optic technology, we might be able to address some of those issues and be able to extend that kind of, of utility further. So then we are able to have these massive, na- uh, you know, networks of fiber optics that don't have any data loss issues or at least fewer data loss issues and be able to put everyone on this incredible speed. And then we don't have to worry about that whole net neutrality thing anymore. I'm I'm dreaming, I know, but still, it's pretty cool. It's a beautiful dream. Yep. And besides uh, fiber optics and DVDs, we could also see this helping improve technologies like ultrasonic technologies, anything that, again, involves waves. So sound, ultrasonic, obviously, Mm -hmm. uh, the whole soundproofing idea, uh, acoustic shielding, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, you know, solar panels. Uh, Again, you want to redirect that light. So these are really cool potential applications of metamaterials, assuming that we get to a point where we can produce them Uh, at a scalable level. Yeah, Yeah, right. Um, they, they could be the next evolution of ultralight objects. We were just talking about that in our camping episode. Yep. I mean, although this would probably be a little bit above the price point of many people yes, who yeah. are looking for hobbyist camping. But yes, for a mere $3 million. Yeah. Uh, MIT and the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory are working on 3D printing stuff that has super low density and super high stiffness and strength. Um, for, for example, they can print these tiny lattices of polymers and then coat those lattices with thin films of metamaterials, metal or ceramics or something like that, and then melt out the original polymer, leaving these little tiny bitty hollow tubes with walls, you know, only like 50 to 500 nanometers thick that are incredibly strong, like able to bear loads that are at least 160,000 times their own weight. That's, again, hard to conceive. It's hard for me to imagine. Meanwhile, scientists at the University of Southampton have been working with med materials that will adhere to a surface 
when that material is exposed to light. What? Yeah. So imagine that you've got a wall. Maybe it's made out. Usually we're talking about a dielectric wall. So something that can conduct electricity. Sure. Uh, so like, uh, let's say that it's a stainless steel wall or some sort. Um, and you put this thing, whatever it happens to be, against that wall. And as long as it is being uh, stimulated by light, it sticks there. And if you were to take away the light source, it would no longer stick there. And it's because it's a metamaterial that has these little uh, vibrating electron sites that would interact with electrons that are on the surface of the, the wall itself. So it's an electron-electron interaction that doesn't involve repulsion. And that's as much as I can tell you, folks, because, I mean, <laughs> once I started looking into it more, I was like, OK, I'm going to have to take a full course in physics for me to really understand what's going on on a physical level. But the cool part is that this could potentially become a new way of, uh, of developing brand new technologies that we can't even really conceive right now. Yeah, that's kind of a new fundamental force. Yeah, it's essentially the discovering that, wait a minute, there's something else that, that can happen with under these specific circumstances that we didn't know about. And it is a fundamental force, which is incredible. I mean, it's an amazing scientific discovery. So even if there's never like a practical application, just knowing that this is another way that our universe works is a valuable lesson. Oh, of course. Um, meanwhile, over at the University of Texas at Austin, they've been working on creating these metamaterial mirrors that are only 400 nanometers thick that can double the frequency of infrared radiation that hits it. Okay, so if the incoming radiation has just, for example, a wavelength of eight micrometers, um, the outgoing reflection will have a wavelength of four micrometers. Huh. Um, which is a pretty awesome feature, but the researchers are also saying that they can possibly fine tune the structure to adjust the reflection to other desired wavelengths. Um, the, the mirror is made of a bunch of wacky stuff, including indium, gallium, arsenic, aluminum, and gold, but that's a little bit beside the point. I just found, I was like, arsenic is in there. That's cool. I yeah. have no idea what that's, what that, all right. Um, but, but so, you know, being able to convert the frequency of wavelengths at will would be incredibly awesome for a bunch of different optical purposes, uh, like miniaturizing laser systems or improving, um, optics based sensory tech. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I've, I've seen a lot about metamaterials used to help create these miniature laser systems. And you might think, well, what's that good for? Well, go back to that photonics discussion we had just a moment ago. That would be necessary. If you want to have a microchip that is working under photonics and not just uh, electricity, then you have to have these lasers that generate the light. And by miniaturizing it, that's what makes it possible. Otherwise, you know, your components are going to be larger, which means your devices have to be larger in order to take advantage of that photonics technology. Right. So this is a really promising. Then you have this. This was, again, one of those things where I read it and I thought, what? Some folks at Northwestern University, some scientists have been working on a material that would act the opposite way you would expect it to based upon our experience with the world around us. So imagine you've got a cushion and when you sit on that cushion, instead of sinking down into the cushion, as you would with any normal cushion, the cushion pushes back against you and actually rises up. Or imagine that you've got some sort of silly putty, but instead of when you pull on the silly putty and it stretches way out. It starts to compress as you pull on it. In other words, this sounds like we're talking about Harry Potter again. It is physically behaving the opposite of what it should if it were just a decent law abiding material. <laughs> and here's the crazy thing is that there are scientists who are working on creating 
material that does this stuff. Essentially, when you when you pull it, it compresses. And when you compress it, it expands. And uh, they said that the way they did it is normally if you made a material like this, that it could do this, it would be very unstable. Sure. And it would collapse in on a more stable uh, structure. That What they did was they started by creating a stable structure that already did this. So when it collapses, it's collapsing into the the base form of this so that huh. when you pull on it, it, it compresses. And uh, they explained the concept because, again, they're they're working on this. It's not like they have big old piles of this flubber like stuff out there. They're working on it. And it's very much in the hypothetical phase. They described it by ex- by describing uh, 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 four uh, atoms that are in a horizontal line and uh and trying to pull those atoms apart would re- would cause them to compress closer together that uh illustration didn't help me at all <laughs> but that's not due to them that's because i'm dense so i'm not blaming it on you northwestern university i'm blaming it upon my own limitations but it i think what again just by making this material a specific structure it has these very different properties Yeah, I think that part of this is so hard to wrap our minds around because it's I mean, not only is it breaking the laws of physics, kind of, sort of, (laughs) um, but also because it's also new. um, Right. uh, There was a market research company called BCC Research that just this year estimated that the global market for metamaterials is going to expand from like two hundred and eighty nine million dollars in twenty thirteen to some one point two billion by twenty nineteen. So. Yeah, this, the, fu- the future is bright. It's hypothetically picking up. Right. It's, and... it's, it's the future is not just bright. It's invisible. Huh. But fu- <laughs> but to be to be fair, to be fair, this this proves like you say two hundred eighty nine million dollars, which don't get us wrong. That's a lot of money. We're not saying it's a little money. If you think it's a little money, give us two hundred eighty nine million dollars. Yeah. You? But it's a drop in the bucket compared to other industries. It's really proving that metamaterials are in their infancy. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, we, it's it's incredible to think of the sort of applications that could potentially come out of this. I mean, imagine a city that's earthquake proof that or a bridge that really is earthquake proof that the earth is shaking around it and the bridge is just fine. That's it's it's it blows my mind. It's incredible. I would I would like that future. It would be an awesome future. Be fantastic. So. Uh, we're really excited to see where metamaterials go. We're really excited that, again, this is properties that are just based upon the physical structure of that material. It has nothing to do with like, hey, we, we managed to make this new, you know, stuff that is really unstable and decays almost immediately. So that's unfortunate. But look at the cool thing it does for the split second it exists. That's not what we're talking about. This is stuff that has permanency. Because, again, it's just the physical structure at that nano level that gives it that ability. Wow. All right. Well, now that we have melted our brains and hopefully stimulated your brains, I would like to invite all of you guys to suggest any topics you might want to hear about in the future. Maybe you said, that was really interesting. Can we talk about something, like, really simple now? Maybe, Maybe the technology of kittens. Kittens. Kitten technology. I mean, obviously, that would involve a deep discussion about YouTube. Just let us know. Uh, if you have any suggestions or you have questions or, again, maybe we have covered something, but perhaps our limited uh, explanations you feel were, were, were not rich enough and you have a way of putting it into words that we need to share with our listeners, let us know. Send Please. Us, send yes. us an email. 
Our address is textup at howstuffworks.com. Or if the message is really short, like you guys rock, you can let us know on Twitter, textupHSW. If it's a little longer, like it's in between email links and Twitter links, Facebook and Tumblr are both great places to go to and let us know what's going on. Our handle of both of those also is textupHSW. And we will talk to you again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. <laughs>